morning we, uh, the title of our message is The Three Men of Three John, Part 1. Three Men of Three John, Part 1, from, from Third John, the third letter of the Apostle John. So we are in a series called Short Letters. These are the often overlooked single chapter letters, epistles from the New Testament. So far we have looked at Philemon and uh, Second John. We've spent uh, a couple of weeks in each. And this morning we're looking at the, at the third letter of John and we're going to spend also a couple of weeks on it. And this, uh, this epistle has been called uh, various names, but one common name is the tale of three men. And it is the shortest book in the New Testament, the shortest epistle. And Third John is, is an encouraging letter, but it is also challenging as it, as it shows, as it displays some of the, the problems in dealing with different personalities that we get in the church. Just as God's creation is varied, just as there are so many varieties of flowers and trees and birds, there are many varieties of personalities. We're all different in many different ways. All created by the same Lord and Creator. Yes, uh, it is time for Kids Church, by the way. I I forget to announce this every Sunday, so I do apologise. So Kids Church at the back. Thank you. Um, and we're all different, but our different personalities can sometimes bring issues within the church, and uh, and that is certainly displayed in some of the epistles, and certainly that is the case here in Three John. There are three different men here. There is Gaius, to whom this letter is written. Another name, uh, another name there is Diotrephes, and a third individual named Demetrius. Now these three men are like, like I said, like three kinds of Christians found in any church in any age. So this morning we're going to be looking at Gaius and next Sunday, God willing, if the Lord permits, we will look at the next two and one week. So there are similarities and differences between 2 John and 3 John. Both letters focus on the words truth and love, as these words are sprayed throughout the letter. But one difference is that while Second John, in Second John, love is prescribed, there is a strong warning against tolerating those who denied the truth, who not only denied the truth personally, but they go on teaching others, they go on teaching heresy and spreading heresy. Therefore, believers in churches are not to welcome to, or to provide verbal and, and certainly no material encouragement to these false teachers to welcome them into the home and, and to send them on the way. God bless you when they're spreading heresy. Don't do that. But in this letter, we read how the church is to do all it can to welcome those who do preach the truth. Who are there to build the kingdom? Who are truly focused on the true doctrine that they have received from the apostles? So our first heading this morning is spiritual health, verses 1 and 2. 
This is what it says. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you just as you are progressing spiritually. Unlike 2 John, which I believe was written to a local church, 3 John was written to a fellow named Gaius. Gaius uh, is, is a common Roman name and appears at least five times in the New Testament. Now, we are not sure if, if he is the same Gaius mentioned by Luke and Paul. And from what we can see, he is evidently a, a dear friend of John. More than that, he was probably a faithful Christian leader in his local church. And that church was, in turn, under the oversight. John, in his senior years now, probably late, mid to late 90s, good old age, and that's why he refers to him not only as an elder, because he was an old man, but elder as in position. That was his responsibility, oversight of the churches. Now, that's all well and good, but you may not be aware, but the greeting here has caused quite a lot of controversy over the years. And you say, well, a greeting? How can a greeting cause controversy? The issue is that instead of giving the typical secular greeting of the day, and and this was a what I'm going to tell you is a typical greeting of the secular people out there. All the best with you, mate, type of thing, right? Uh, And the greeting of the day in Greek was, be well and may the gods give you health and prosper you. So what John does is he turns it around and gives it an entirely different Christian emphasis. And And the translation that we have in the NIV has already been sanitized to give... uh to give it a, a meaning to the expression rather than the literal translation. But the literal, other versions have the literal translation. And, uh, and this is what it says in the New American Standard Bible. It says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. A few bells should already be ringing, right? Ding, ding, ding. Now, and that's what I want to tackle here. One of the issues I want to tackle this morning. Firstly, I want to say it is a dangerous greeting. A dangerous greeting. If it came true, if it came true, it might put a few of us in hospital in, on, on life support. Why do I say that? Well, to ask the Lord, to ask that the Lord make us as physically healthy as we are spiritually healthy is a dangerous proposition to most believers. Think about it. How is your spiritual pulse? How is your spiritual blood pressure? Many Christians are rightly concerned for the physical side of their bodies and are doing all sorts of things to stay healthy, or at the very least to look healthy. Diet, exercise, you know, weights, all that. 
And that is all well and good because our body is, we have to take care of it, it is, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it is the body that will one day be resurrected. So we are to take care of it. But I'm not sure that most Christians are as concerned for their spiritual health as they are for their physical, their inner being. Just think on what it would mean if our physical body was an immediate reflection of our spiritual condition. That this beautiful face that you're all looking at now Suddenly, you wake up in the morning and, uh, yeah, no makeup or nothing, right? Which you're obviously wearing now. That, uh, look yourself in the mirror and rather than reflect this beautiful face, it reflects my spiritual condition. What would that look like in the morning? It might be shocking. I know it looks pretty bad in the morning already, but imagine if it just goes a step further and actually reflects What's on the inside? How long would you look at it? Would you stay there and reflect on it? Would you be shameful? Or would you dismiss it and say, well, that's just who I am. That's the way that God made me. Take it or leave it. Would you look anemic? Would you look lethargic? Perhaps with rickets disease because you are still, you still have the body of a, an 11 year old, even though you are 60, you haven't grown for a very long time. You're stuck. A spiritual rickets disease. And, and this has been, you know, this has been a, a, a problem ever since the early church. Why do you think in, in, in some of the epistles and certainly in the book of Hebrews we read in Hebrews 6.1 Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, leaving the, the Sunday school level Christianity 101, What? What do you want me to do? Let us press on to maturity. Let us grow. Let us, the milk is great, but we have to start getting on the solids now. You're an old man. You should be reflecting your spiritual maturity. You should be teaching, encouraging others rather than being stuck at level one. This is why it's a tremendous compliment that John can say to Gaius, your spiritual health is evident to everybody. Everybody can see through you. And I just pray because it looks like he was struggling in his health. This is why he's saying, I just pray that you're as well in terms of your physical health as you are spiritually. So this is the other way around. He was actually 
physically ill, but his heart, his spirit for the Lord was amazing. I think all of us, yes, we should definitely look after our bodies. But, oh wow, you know, shouldn't we really be, really be focusing on our spiritual health? Like Gaius. Secondly, this verse has also been dangerously misused, taken out of context, misapplied by many. It is a key text for the prosperity gospel. The gospel that says that God not only wants your soul's salvation, but he wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And if you are not, it is probably because you simply don't have enough faith. About uh, 20 years ago, about 20 years ago, Brian Houston from Hillsong wrote a book called You Need More Money. Paul Zan, American author, uh, wrote a bestseller called God Wants You to Be Rich. Then there's a crowd favourite who's written many books, Joel Osteen with his bestseller, Your Best Life Now. Now millions of Christians around the world have fallen for this unbiblical teaching. And it is, I'm, I'm, I'm calling them out because it is heresy. It's exactly the stuff that I've been talking about. Why are they so popular? Because they appeal to the greed and selfishness, the me, the self. And, and, and they, they tickle the ears of naive audiences who aren't willing to delve into the scriptures and look at the context of verses such as these and the biblical teaching. This is why Paul warned young Timothy, he said in 1 Timothy 6, 9-10, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And, And the following verse is one that we know quite well, but it's also been misquoted. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It's not the root, it is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I thought money was supposed to make your life freer. Give you all the joy that you've always desired. If you believe that, then you really haven't spoken to any people with a lot of money and you will find just how, how many of them, particularly the non-Christians, how miserable they really are. Forget about the stuff you see on television, the trappings and all that. So let's just confirm here that John is not saying that every Christian should be fabulously wealthy, deliriously prosperous or amazingly healthy. Those things would be an amazing blessing were the Lord to give us health and wealth. And were the Lord to give us these things for them to be used in his kingdom. 
How many stories do we know? How do you think the the mission movement, there are people who have given of their wealth for the kingdom, for mission work. They have started orphanages and hospitals out of their own, what God has given, they just given it back. One particular fellow who started giving 10%, then uh, well-known industrialist, I just forgot his name at the moment, and and then went on to 50% of all his wealth he was going to give to missions. He ended up giving... He pledged he was going to give, he ended up giving 90% to missions and kept 10% of it on himself. Turned the whole thing right around. But these things are not the ultimate measure of faith and are not promised to every believer. Sure, we have very wealthy Godly individuals in the Bible. Abraham, Job, fabulously wealthy. But they knew their father in heaven and had a very close relationship with him. But then we have individuals in the Bible. Jesus and his disciples were not. The Hall of Faith in Hebrews describes them in this way, in Hebrews 11, 37 to 38. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. And here is one of, one of the great verses, I think, in Scripture. The world was not worthy of them. Isn't that an amazing statement? I love that. The world was not worthy of them. Why? Because they were, they were so kingdom-minded. Yeah. Now... Let's walk to, let's go to our second title, Walking in the Truth, verses 3 to 4. Walking in the Truth. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Just like in his Second letter, John expressed delight to see his spiritual children walking in the truth. John may well have been Gaius's spiritual father who led him to faith in Christ. So he may be considering Gaius amongst the, the spiritual children in the sense that those whom he has led to the Lord, they are all gathered there and Gaius is one of them. And so this deep bond he shares with Gaius is bound in the truth, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we all should display great joy. We all should display great joy when we see fellow Christians walking in truth and love. No room for pride or jealousy thinking 
Ah, oh, so you think you're a better Christian than I am, do you? What makes you better than me? Uh, no, no. Let's celebrate and delight in the, in, the, in the spiritual successes of our fellow believers. Let's rejoice with them. Let's not be jealous of them. Let's, let's, oh brother, it's great to see what the Lord is doing in you. It's great to see how you're growing in the faith. It gives me joy. I, I give praise to God for you. Christian parents should also describe great joy as seeing their children walking in the truth. Their own physical children I'm talking about. Why do I say this? Because there are Christian parents who are ecstatic when their children get promotions in the corporate world. They get degrees and doctorates and the rest. And then... Some parents are dismayed when they leave it all and tell them that they felt the call by God to leave their careers and go to the mission field. One example. What? After all that study, after all you worked so hard and now you just, some evangelist turns up to church and you put your hand up and you answer God's call and you go into the mission field? What is wrong with you? I know there are none of you here who think like that, right? I I have heard them. What is it that gives you great joy as a Christian parent? Guys? William Borden, a graduate of Yale University in, uh, in 1912, left one of America's greatest family fortunes to be a missionary to China. That's where he was going. He got as far as Egypt and died there of cerebral meningitis. He was only in his 20s. And his words were, what a waste. I thought I was following God. Is that what he said? No, this is what he said. This is what he said. He said, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets in his consecration to God. Isn't that amazing? Someone said, I'll I'll say this for adversity. People seem to be able to stand it and that's more than I can say for prosperity. Why is it that we cherish prosperity so much more than adversity? Well, because it's comfortable. I want to be comfortable. I want to be cosy. You know, who wants suffering? On Thursday, this past Thursday, out of nowhere on Monday, I got a call that somebody needed a Baptist pastor in Liverpool to do a funeral. Monday being a day off, that's the last thing you want to hear. Oh, no, there goes my week. I didn't even know this person, but then slowly after investigating whatever, um, I I found out that this was a a lady who used to go to the Russian Slavic church in Cabramatta. 
And that sort of started to tickle my interest. I said, I can do something with this. And so I said, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And the funeral was for, for Thursday. She was 98 years old. She was born in Ukraine. That also tickled my interest. Mozartuk? That's, that's a Spanish name. No, it's not. It's Ukrainian. All right? Born in Ukraine, 1920, she's 1921. She survived the genocide in the early 30s when 8 million Ukrainians died under Stalin in the early 30s. The figures are between 6 million and 12 million. Let's just say 8 million died. She survived it. Then came World War II. She spent, uh, she got to Austria, then spent some time in prison on the way. She was widowed three times. Widowed three times. Her last husband died in 1975. Had six daughters. She was, get this, she was separated from one of her daughters while she was getting on a ship to come to Australia in 1949, separated, and her daughter ended up in Canada. For decades, she didn't know, they didn't know each other. Suddenly, they found each other, and she came to visit her real mum. I have since found out that that daughter in Canada is married to a pastor, who actually on, on, on Thursday it says he, they really enjoy the service and, because he was taking notes of what I was saying. It was a colleague. And she brought up her family since she became a Christian in the 60s. She was faithful. She used to go visit people in the nursing homes and in their homes, devoting herself. Most of her life she spent on her own since 1975. The sad thing is that only a few of her descendants are walking with the Lord. A lot of them are not. And all I could do at the funeral, I preached actually from Hebrews 11, the walk of faith, what it looks like. And all I could do in the funeral was remind them of the gospel and the great example given to them by this godly woman who walked in faith. Brothers and sisters, it's okay for you to pray for your children to be successful and prosperous, to be leaders in industry, doctors, scientists, all that. that. That's fine. But more importantly... We need to pray that they prosper spiritually in leaps and bounds. That they grow in Christ. And and no room, no room for jealousy or pride because my children or or my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren are more committed to the faith than yours. What we should all be doing is grieving and praying for one another's kids who are not walking with Christ. There are so many prodigals brought up in the faith, brought up in the gospel, given godly examples 
And rather than pointing the finger, well, as a parent, you should have done this, you should have done that. Yeah, 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 I hear all that. But aren't we in the same war against the evil one? Shouldn't we be praying and encouraging one another? Upholding one another? That all our children, that these prodigals come back home and then we can all rejoice together. And hear the stories of redemption. And see them in the walk of faith. That should be our prayer. No room for jealousy. Certainly plenty of room for encouraging and pleading before God for our kids. Lastly, walking in love, verses 5 to 8. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. John is also delighting that Gaius is not only committed to sound doctrine, he is living out that doctrine in real, tangible Christian love. In other words, in Gaius I see both truth and love, the same themes of to John, right? So when visiting speakers, visiting teachers, evangelists, missionaries came to town, came to visit his church, they stayed with Gaius. He probably had a big enough home and a big enough heart to accommodate everybody. He's the one who hosts them and shows loving hospitality to them. He is probably a guy who uses his wealth in a proper way. And as we mentioned last week, in the early church, there were these itinerant evangelists and missionaries. Yes, there were those who were spreading heresy, but there were those who were genuine. And they left their full-time jobs and devoted themselves to the spread of the gospel, travelling from town to town. There was no internet, there was no Facebook, there were no phones or faxes or anything like that. They had to physically go there and preach the Gospels to Gentiles, teaching in the churches where otherwise the Gospel would not be heard. So Gaius is welcoming these travelling evangelists and missionaries who, who love the truth into his home. And how did John get to hear this? He heard this from the missionaries who stayed with Gaius. They report back to John and say, let me tell you about this fellow Gaius that we met there. He welcomed us into, the, into his home. He helped us. He encourages us. He fed us. He supported us and then sent us on our way with a blessing so that we could go to the next town. Then in verses 7 to 8, John gives three reasons why we ought to support these missionaries. Firstly, why? Because they went out for the sake of the name. 
Everything we do is for the sake of the name. And which name is that? The name of Jesus. That's why we have all these different people doing what they do in church for the sake of the name. That's why we have ministry here in West Hoxton for the sake of the name. This is why we support missionaries for the sake of the name. Because they are going out, they are doing all that they can for the sake of the name that is above all names. Secondly, because they have no other means of support. And it's not surprising that they receive no help from the pagans. Therefore, it is incumbent upon us who are already believers to support mission, the mission of evangelists, to unbelievers, those who go and immerse themselves in a foreign culture who otherwise were not here. We're certainly not going to be asking unbelievers to pay for the mission of the good news to them, are we? So if fellow Christians don't support them, how will they manage? Yes, there are those, like the Apostle Paul, who make tents part-time here and part-time there. But some of the times this is just not possible. Thirdly, when we support these brothers and sisters, we become fellow workers in the truth. Not everybody can, can go overseas, work in church full time or, or indeed have the spiritual calling or the spiritual gifts and talents to use in that particular way. But you can still obey the Great Commission by providing financial and prayerful support for those that do go. This is how we work together for the truth. I like how the ASV and the King James Version has it. Fellow workers for the truth. Fellow workers for the truth. Um, an old preacher, Ray Stedman, said about this passage, wouldn't it be wonderful if after you got to glory, God wrote FWT after your name? Fellow worker for the truth. Apart from all the titles that you have, you know, Reverend Doctor and all of that, FWT. Wouldn't that be good? May the Lord find us prospering in spiritual things more than anything else. And if the Lord should choose, choose to, to bless us with amazing health and amazing wealth, be it all to his glory. And let's use it for his glory. And may our love for the truth, for one another, and for the lost be evident to all. Amen.